you don't build muscle or become fit without some effort. Get that body going. Yet, when it comes to our spiritual life, it's easy to miss the fact that sometimes God allows us to endure difficulty in order to help us grow. I am Hans. Yeah, I am Franz. And we are here to pop. You are. All of us have to endure weights in our lives, don't we? These trials, these tests, these tribulations, these challenges, these heartaches. But every once in a while, we need somebody to spot us. Welcome to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp. Here, we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. There's a joy unlike any other God wants you to experience. And this week, Charles Tapp explains that God has started a work in you and wants to see it to completion. It may involve some ups and downs, but you'll discover a life he's been preparing for you all along, if you're willing to trust him. Here's Charles Tapp with part two in his series, God's Good Work, Lessons from Philippians, with his message, Joy in the Journey. What is this good work that Paul talks about throughout the book of Philippians here? Better question, how do we define what is good? You know, sometimes we define something as being good by it completing the purpose for which it was created. When God created the various elements of our world and at the end of each day, he said, and it was good. He said, let there be light and there was light. And he said, the light was good. In other words, the light was performing the purpose for which God had created it. But there's another way that you and I define something as being good, and that's how it impacts our senses, one or all five, in a very pleasurable way. For instance, if the weather is good and you can feel that sun on your face as you walk outside, you say, today is what kind of day? It is a good day. So how something impacts my, my scent, the ability to smell or to see or to touch in a very positive way helps me to define that particular thing as being good. How many of you know I love chocolate? You don't? You know now. My favorite, you know, my favorite candy bar used to be Snickers. And I said this about two years ago, and a gentleman sitting right over there where Jerry is seated now, two weeks passed, came to my house with a box of 50 Snickers bars. Hint, 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 hint. No, I'm just kidding. No, I wasn't. That's all. Right. My favorite candy bar today, chocolate, is the Reese's Peanut Butter especially if you leave it in the freezer overnight. <laughs> Whew. Even opening it, it sounds good. You can tell when somebody's opening candy, can't you? It has a different sound. You can be asleep and you hear that sound, you go, who's got candy? Who's got candy? 
So even before I, I see it, just the mere fact that it sounds a certain way, I say, that's good. But then when I take it out, it looks good. Some of you are salivating right now. It smells good. It feels good. And the peace that resistants. Mm, mm. Help me, somebody. <laughs> Sounds good. Looks good. Feels good, smells good, tastes good, must be good. But here's the thing. That's not how God defines goodness. That's how we define goodness. See, if it feels good, we go, it's good. If it smells good, it's got to be good. If it tastes good, we say, mm, it has impacted my senses positively, so it must be good. That's not how God defines goodness. The word that is used here in the New Testament for good is the word agathos. It's one of the first Greek words I learned when I was studying Greek many, many, many moons ago. It's not just good because it impacts one of our senses, but when God looks at good, he defines it as being good by its very nature, by its very essence. You see, the difference between God's goodness and our goodness is this. Our goodness is based on our performance. So how will we do a particular thing? We go, that was good. God's goodness is not based on what he does. God's goodness is based on who he is. And because of who he is, whatever he does is good. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, good master, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, why are you calling me Good. Why are you calling me Agathos? There is none good by nature intrinsically other than God. So in other words, he was calling God's God good. So when Paul says, I'm confident that he who began this good work in you, it could be better translated, I'm confident that God who began his work in you shall complete his work. And the work that Paul is talking about here has to be a good work because it is God's work. In Philippians chapter 2, turn there with me. As we look at verses 13 to verse 16, Paul describes what God's work in us is all about. He says, for it is God who works in you to do what? To will, that means to have the desire, and to act, that means to do, in order to fulfill his what purpose? His good purpose. In other words, his purpose in your life. Do everything without what? 
grumbling or arguing. Verses 15 to 16. So that you may become what? Blameless and pure children of God with all fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then, then is when, when God does that work in you, then you will shine among them. Who's the them? The warped and crooked generation like the stars in the sky. As you hold what? Firmly. Don't miss that. You've got a Bible that you can underline. Underline that phrase, hold firmly. As you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able, Paul says, to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Here again, Paul is sounding like a parent. And you know as parents how we invest everything we have into our children, don't we? We pay for their educations so that they can go to a good school and receive a good education. We give them everything we feel they need for life. And then you still have some children that squander and waste everything that the parents had invested in them. Paul says, don't do that. He says, I've invested much in you. You started off well, continue on. All you have to do is hold on, persevere, and God will complete the work in your life that he started. What work is Paul talking about? He's not talking about a work of salvation. Let me explain what I mean by that. For Paul understands that salvation comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But Paul is talking about here the sanctifying work of the Spirit to develop our characters so that we can be more like Christ. You see, I am saved. I don't have to work at being saved, but the work that I have to let God do in my life now is to surrender so that I can become more like him, so that I can be more loving, so that I can be more patient, so I can be more long-suffering, so I can have more joy. That's what Paul is talking about here. And there are two words in that verse 6 that give us a clue to the nature of the work that Paul is talking about. Paul says, I'm confident of this thing, that he who began that work will perform it or complete it. That word began and perform are two technical words that are used when describing the making of a sacrifice and preparing the animal for sacrifice and completing that sacrifice all the way through to the end. And here's the point we dare not miss. When God works his work, his good work in us, it is to make us sacrifices. And that's what he meant when he said in Romans 12 and verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your what? Bodies. He's not just talking about the physical body. He's talking about our very lives as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, which he says is your act of worship. So Paul is saying the work that I want to do in you is to make you a living sacrifice. And when you think about it, a sacrifice is only good if a sacrifice has died. 
And here's the similarity between a dead sacrifice that you place on the altar and you and I as living sacrifices, and that is in order for them to be effective, both have to be placed in a position of submission, one by force, the other by choice. So you and I must choose to allow God to do his work in us so that we can become these shining lights, so that we can become these living sacrifices. The greatest sermon anyone will ever hear will never be one preached from this desk or any other pulpit. It will be from the lives you and I live. Here's the want of the world today, and I truly believe this with all of my heart. The world is desperately looking for us to be who we claim to be. They expect it, and so does God. So God says, I'm going to do this good work in you. But as I said earlier, whatever God does is good. And sometimes what God has to do with his good work to do his work in us may not feel good to us. Let's go back to the book of James. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. I just want to go back to it for a moment. James chapter 1, as we look at verses 2 to verse 4, James says some striking things here as it relates to this work that God desires to do in us. Look at what he says here in verse 2. He says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles, and that word trouble can mean trial or test of any kind, come your way. How many of you know you don't have to go looking for these tests and trials? How many of you know that? How many of you know that, that when you wake up in the morning, it's standing right beside your bed? I'm not talking about your spouse. Don't even go there. Consider it an opportunity for what? Great joy. Put a pause there. Whenever, Irwin, these trials, tests come your way, James says, consider it, view it as an opportunity for great joy. When was the last time a test or a trial came knocking at your door and you said, God, I just thank you for this opportunity for great joy? I have never said that and probably never will. He goes on to say, for you know that when your faith is tried, when your faith is what? Tested, your endurance, your ability to hold on, to stand firm, has a chance to do what? To grow, verse four. So let it grow. In other words, let God Continue the work that he started in you. For when your endurance, your staying power is fully developed, you will be perfect. And that word perfect doesn't mean sinless. It means spiritually mature and complete and needing nothing. That's why Jesus told the rich young ruler, if you want to be perfect, go and sell everything that you have and give the money to the poor. 
He wasn't saying if you want to be sinless, do that. He was saying if you want to reach your state of spiritual maturity that you need to reach, here's the thing that's going to keep you from doing it, and that's your riches. So get rid of your riches. You're listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and part two of God's Good Work, Joy in the Journey. And if you're enjoying this message or you'd like to find others like it, you can find out more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. We'll conclude with the rest of his message right after this. I'm going to take a moment and just recommend that you breathe. Now, there are all kinds of breathing techniques that you can use. One is count to 10, you know, breathing in, count to 10, breathing out, kind of hold it in the middle, you know, breathing in His grace and breathing out His praise. Whatever you choose, breath is really important. And this time of year, you know, you may have a cold or you may have the flu and it's restricting your breathing. So you know just how important that is. God has given you that breath. In Acts, Paul wrote this, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. And so take a moment and take a deep breath and stay encouraged. To get more encouraging content, go to WGTS919.com. This is Simple Truths for Life. And we're all familiar with the phrase, no pain, no gain. Well, this week, Charles Tapp helps you realize the life God is preparing for you, but sometimes it involves pain. He explains with the rest of his message, God's good work, joy in the journey. So these tests, these these trials, when we see them in our lives and when we confront them head on, the last thing we think about is this word called joy. But here's what we've got to consider again. Not the trial, the test, or the challenge itself, but you've got to consider God's nature. And God's nature is good, which means whatever God does, whatever God allows to come into your life and to my life will ultimately be good. And you and I have got to see it that way. Not because it makes one of my senses feel good, but because I know it's going to make me grow. The older I get, the more and the better I understand what Paul meant when he says, these light and momentary troubles are achieving for me something greater than I could ever know or imagine. Paul is saying, listen, I understand I've got to go through some pain so that I can receive some gain. And why is it we understand that in every aspect of life instead of our spiritual walk with God? You know when you work out, how many of you love to work out? How many of you work out? I may have the wrong crowd here today. (laughs) Those of us who work out or used to work out, we don't do it because we just love to work out. You know, I'm just gonna work out today because I love to work out. I don't love to work out, trust me, but I love the results of working out. And that's what James is saying here. He's saying, listen, count it all joy, not because of the test, of the trial, but what they can produce in your life. So when he talks about joy, James isn't talking about 
happy, happy, happy. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about having the assurance of knowing that with these trials, with these tests, God is with you, with them, making sure that what they accomplish will be his work in you. Let me give you this definition of, of joy. Joy is not this thing where everything has to be just right, the weather has to be just right, the temperature has to be just right. Guess what? You will never come to a situation in this life where everything is what? Just right. Are you just right? So what makes you think everything else is going to be just right? I found this definition this past week of biblical joy from Kay Warren. She's the wife of the author who wrote the book, Purpose Driven Life, Purpose Driven Church. It's on your summer review. Take a look at this, is this definition of this biblical joy. She says, joy is, and you got your summary review so you can underline this, joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. It's the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. And the determined choice to do what? Praise God in every what? Situation. So joy, God's joy, is me recognizing and having the assurance that I'm not alone. God is there with me, but there's still something I've got to do. I've got to choose to praise God in every trial, in every test, in every heartache. I've got to make that choice for joy. It's not something that just happens. In Hebrews chapter 12, 1 to 3, the writer to the Hebrews tells us that Jesus, because of the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. So when you and I experience joy, the assurance that God is with us, it gives us the power to hold on so that God can ultimately do his work. And I love how Paul looks at this in Galatians 6, 1 and 2, he says that as we bear these trials, as we bear these burdens, we're not to bear them alone. Now understand when he meant when he said that God will not give you any trial, any test that will overcome you because God never intended for you or for me to bear these trials all by ourselves. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Pastor, can you come and give me a hand here? Can you bring these out here for me? I'm going to grab this chair, make sure it's stable. All right. No accidents here. All right. Get behind me, Ola. Get behind me. Haven't done this in a while, so pray for me. No, seriously, I haven't done this in a while. Raise them high, Ola. These are 25-pound weights. I used to be able to do like 50 of these straight. That was a little bit ago. You see, all of us, uh, don't stand too close, I don't want to hit you. All of us have to endure weights in our lives, don't we? These trials, uh, these tests, uh, these tribulations, uh, these challenges, uh, these heartaches, uh, 
But every once in a while, we need somebody to spot us. Help me, Elva, spot me. (laughs) Because there will be a time in all of our lives where the weight will be entirely too much for us to handle alone. Who says amen? Amen. So God is asking for us, help me, Elva, spot me. There we go. To be spiritual spotters. Are you hearing me? Because all of us need help. Here's the thing we all need to understand and remember. As God has called us as the body of Christ to, to be this great community, there are people in our pews every week who are doing this by themselves. And some of them walk through this door and they can barely get through the door. All they're looking is for somebody in the body of Christ to spot them and to help them to bury, carry the load. There was a song, I think it came back in, out in the 70s. Bill Withers, anybody know Bill Withers? Come on, tell the truth, shame the devil, you know Bill Withers. Song, Lean On Me. Listen to the chorus, I'm not gonna sing it, just gonna read it. It says, lean on me, when you're not strong, and I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on. Here's the part I love. For it won't be long when I'm gonna need somebody to lean on. Powerful theology in that song. He said, lean on me, let me be your spiritual spotter because I know one day I'm going to need you to spot me as well. And see, that's part of the, the joy of the journey. Not just having the assurance that God is with you, but it's also having the assurance that your brothers and sisters in Christ are also there with you to help you to bear the load together. See, the joy that James is talking about, count it all joy, it's not a joy that's contingent upon everything being just right, but it's the joy that you and I can experience because we know, we know we don't have to do this alone. But here's the thing, folk, and I want to end with this today. It's one thing to know that God is with you, and that's an intellectual truth that we have. But sometimes you need somebody to come alongside of you. Amen? Sometimes when the load is just getting too heavy, you need somebody to spot you. Not to just take it from you, but to help you lift it. That's the joy in the journey. The joy is not just waiting for Christ to come, but the joy is in helping our brothers and sisters in the journey as we grow and mature, waiting for Christ to come. And that's why Paul was so excited about the church of Philippi, because they got that. But not only were they preaching the gospel, they were living the gospel. And that's what God wants for his church. Let's stop all the preaching. Let's start living it. There are people seated right here today 
who needs somebody to be a spiritual spotter in his or her life. And we've got too many silent sufferers in our pews from week to week. And that's why I love when we pause in the early part of our service in church life and just give one another a hug and to shake hands because there's some people, and I'm telling you what I know, who don't get a hug all week long until they come here. And you better hug them because one day you're going to need somebody to hug you. We've got the assurance so we can count all joy knowing God is with us. And my prayer today is that we will be with one another as well. That we will help one another to bear, to bear the load, to be the community that Pastor Phil is always talking about building here at Sligo, being a community. It's harder today because we all are doing our own thing. We all live in so many different places. But if we're not going to be the community, then why are we here? I need you. You need me. We need each other. And we are better together. Who says amen? You've been listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and part two of his message, God's Good Work, Joy in the Journey. And if you want to listen again or share it with someone, you can find these messages on platforms like Apple Podcasts and now also on Spotify or visit us online at simpletruthsforlife.org. Now here's what we're working on for next week. There are many in our church today who think that all they have to do is keep some rules and that'll bring them in good standing with God. Foolishness. Next week, Charles Tapp continues with the third part in this series, God's Good Work, Lessons from Philippians, with his message, Perfect Perfection. Well, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll plan to join us again next week for more Simple Truths for Life.